This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 344. I am Andrew. I am Eric. And I am Micah, I think. Happy November, y'all. Yo, y'all. You know what this means? We're now one year away from Fantastic Beasts 2 and where to find them, too. <laughs> two beasts, two where? Find them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. two, yeah. Fast and two, furious. Two beasts, two beasts, two furious. Um, we are going to discuss a couple of interesting news items today. We're, we've been getting these Wizarding Wednesdays from Fantastic Beasts social media channels, and they unveiled something really interesting that we kind of turned into a main discussion. So, looking forward to talking about that. Also, we have some great voicemails from people. We also have some text messages. We were just joking before the show that we're getting lots of text messages now, and and it's just like what the cool kids do. Instead of email, they text these days. Yeah, anyway. Think about it. You know, Hmm? AOL Instant Messenger is not going to be around as of next month, I think, right? So, Mm -hmm. everybody's moving on, moving on to text messages. Back in my day, we had to dial up, (laughs) sign into AOL Mail, (laughs) type a mail mail letter to MuggleCast. My mom still does that, so. Uh, yeah, my, my mom also has an AOL account still that she uses. Oh, but my dad does, too. I'm like, oh, dad, switch to Gmail. It's Come actually, on. AOL is closing, too, I'm pretty sure. I saw a message, not when I logged in, but somebody else posted a message that said, it's not only AIM, I think AOL is going away, and so, actually, I, that reminds me, I have to tell my mom about her inbox. I don't think so. I'll look it up. Don't scare all of the moms and dads. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, tell your mom and dad that. Hey, well, well, I'm gonna. You know what? I'll fact check it. Is, we have to hey, check well, in okay. with our uh, buddy Kevin Stack. I think he has the the knowledge there. They're all owned by I the same company. That is a rumor. That is not true, mm-hmm. Eric. Uh, well, you know they're all the same anyway. company, right? Tumblr and Yahoo and AOL. I don't know, but who who cares? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's talk about some news, and then we'll get to this Wizarding Wednesday tease. That I teased. Um, we all know that for the past two years, I've been trying very hard to discover the truth about Lavender Brown. Is she dead or is she alive? <laughs> we have known for a while that Pottermore, they they didn't seem to have a firm answer. We've spoken about this before. I won't go back into it. But they really just admitted in the past week that they don't know if Lavender Brown is dead or alive. In a new article earlier this week about why Fenrir Greyback is the creepiest villain in the Harry Potter books, Pottermore section on Lavender's attack includes this gem. Hermione managed to throw Greyback backwards, but we never did find out if feebly stirring Lavender made it out alive. Well, hold on a second. (laughs) Who is determining that Fenrir Greyback is the best villain in the Potter series? (laughs) Creepiest. This is the Pottermore oh, the correspondent, right? You know, this is the... First off, I would disagree with the fact that he is the creepiest. I think Umbridge is the creepiest in the series. I would creepy. agree. Well, there's yeah. different... Well, she's a better... She's a, she's, a, she's a scarier villain, kind of. Well, no, not even scarier. She's not even... She's more formidable. She's... I don't know. She's just... She's your straight-laced type villain, right? You know what you're getting with her. She's a dictator. She's horrible, but... Fenrir Greyback is you don't have nightmares about Umbridge as much as you would uh, this this werewolf creature who loves I would turning children with into. That. I you wouldn't have okay, nightmares right. if you were put in her detention. You don't know what she she's like. She's the cerebral villain, 
Grayback is yeah, but she's not gonna jump on you and savage you in the dark. Like you're not gonna be in a, if you're in a dark forest, you don't need to worry about Umbridge, right? Actually, Umbridge needs to worry about dark forests. Let me just. Say but that. are you more likely to be in a classroom or a forest? Yeah. Uh, and, and, if if I'm at Hogwarts, I'm spending all my time outdoors. Umbridge, okay. Umbridge made by Skin anyway, Crawl sorry. in Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, and, yeah. that's what I'm yeah, saying. Grayback is like barely around in the series. I know, I know, Umbridge isn't around for much of it either, but. She really creeped me out, so I would definitely say that the the teacher that is lurking the halls of Hogwarts, who is gonna inflict pain upon your hand, write you up for some in, like yeah for some infractions that she invented. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So th- this this follows the theory though, Andrew, that you had, which is that this article is composed specifically to troll us. <laughs> Somebody, um, so, some people have said that. I woke up, uh, people know that I've, I've been following this for a while, and I woke up to many people alerting me to this. And yeah, I, I, it kind of is trolling. I don't think they're actually doing that. I, but I did tweet J.K. Rowling again to try and get answers, and still nothing. So, But it's just yeah. nice to know that Pottermore admits it now, that they don't know either, instead of like kind of hiding away from the fact that they don't know. Yet it still boggles my mind that the Pottermore correspondent, which it's singular, but it's it's actually multiple people. They're they're freelance people. Yeah. They they just mm-hmm. don't write in right over to Pottermore and be like, hey, so what's the deal? Yeah, I mean, this is a good article actually. As, apart from the vagueness, I think it really outlines, uh, Micah, some of the reasons you were talking about. We you think Umbridge is scarier? It actually outlines. You know, why, like, it makes a case for Fenrir. It talks about him transforming Remus into a werewolf. It talks about the fact that he'd attack anybody. And it talks about the fact he doesn't even need the full moon to do it. Um, so, you know, an argument is being made there. But on the whole, like, so it's a good article is all I'm trying to say is people should read it. It's just, it is extremely funny to that they end on Lavender funny. Ground as if it's some sort of, oh. you know, cliffhanger or, you know, <laughs> intention yeah look if they're making the case i would hope that they would provide substantial evidence for their position but i'm just saying i don't agree of of him being the creepiest villain in the series Mm -hmm. and i encourage our listeners to uh to support me in this i i support you micah i'm your number one thank you andrew little other news kind of a smaller item i wanted to bring up because i think it's really meaningful this story kind of went viral a couple of weeks ago. There's a shelter in Orlando that decided to switch from breed-based categorizing of their rescue dogs to personality labeling. And how are they assigning these dogs' personalities? Using the Hogwarts houses. And they Aww. call it Pogwarts. Pogwarts. This is the Pet Alliance of Orlando... They recently begun sorting their rescues into one of the four iconic Hogwarts houses. And here's the best part. It's caused an uptick in adoptions yeah. year over year. So this is actually making a difference. And I just love how J.K. Rowling's houses that she made up 20, 25, 30 years ago are being used in a shelter and more people are adopting thanks to this personality, these these personality assignments. And like, what a great idea because... Dog owners are curious about Hogwarts house their dog belongs in. And people obviously love Harry Potter. As you become an adult still, you still love Harry Potter. So it seems just like the perfect opportunity for for people to adopt dogs. 
I love it so much. Yeah, this is this is making it. Like, this is almost using the language that people who would adopt dogs can speak, right? Because every people have mm-hmm. read, people are familiar with the Hogwarts houses. Uh, some people are addicted to BuzzFeed quizzes, uh, determining what your house is. I won't name names, but um, it, it's it's really Eric. special. Um, do I suffer from? House uh, uncertainty? I'm not sure anymore. I don't think so. Oh, no, I just thought you were passive-aggressively talking about yourself. Yeah, possibly. Um, but uh, but this photo <laughs> of this dog here with just the Hufflepuff scarf draped over he or she and, and looking into the camera with the mouth open and mm-hmm. smiling, like, I would adopt this dog in a heartbeat. If I were a Floridian yeah. and if I were anywhere near uh, this animal, yeah. I would want it. And. The reason that this shelter and others are switching from breed based to personality based is because a lot of people just kind of get it in their heads. Oh, I want this certain breed. I'm going to look for it everywhere. And so some breeds get unfair advantages in terms of adoptions. And I think this levels the playing field. And if let's say I'm a Gryffindor and I'm looking to to rescue a dog, of course, I'm going to lean towards adopting a Gryffindor dog like that would be so cool. What I love no matter are these, the breed. I love these photos where the mm-hmm. owners or the adoptees um, are like wearing scarves of the house, and then they're next to the dog, who are also dressed yeah. like the Ravenclaw with the Ravenclaw dog and the Gryffindor. And the Gryffindor dog has like a little—I don't want to say like tutu or um, something around its neck, like a like a uh, a mane of confetti or something. Really, really, really adorable. It's an umbrage look. Yeah, that's sort it's of that's sort white, of an umbrage look. Like you know, speaking of umbrage yeah. again. Um, one of our listeners who's listening live, one of our patrons, Roshni, says, I don't know about dogs, but I can't see how my cats could be put into Hogwarts houses. There is no house for sleeping all the time. Yeah, you know what? This Orlando shelter, they have cats as well, but they said they can't sort them into houses either. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. I mean, the house for sleeping all the time is Hufflepuff. I think I can say that as a Hufflepuff. Pottermore cons- confirmed. But, wow, interesting. Yeah, but, and why do you say that? Because um, they don't do anything? No, well, no, 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 not not in terms of like, um, oh, what's the word, lethargy or anything like that. But but I mean, it, it, we have the coziest couches in our common room. Um, they're just puff chairs, and I, oh, I can I see. see I can see cats. You know, we're we're all about appreciating the fine points of life, including uh, being unconscious for some of it. So, wow. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about this shelter, it's PetAllianceOrlando.org. And a friendly reminder, if you can, consider adopting, rescuing. There's lots of dogs out there who need our help. I rescued Brooklyn. It was an amazing decision. Oh, Scary, but it ended up being amazing. Brooklyn is the best, by the way. Can I just say, I came over to your house over the weekend, Andrew, and I mm. swear, I was scratching and petting Brooklyn for like 15 solid minutes. And he was standing there and taking it, and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he lives for scratches. That's 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 all he wants. Yeah, it was it was lovely. He is he's consistently the best dog I have been in close quarters with. Thanks, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says thank you, and you can come and scratch him anytime. <laughs> Same thing. Who for you, is Micah. winning the uh, the house cup though at uh, Hogwarts? Oh, um, I don't know. Once they all have homes, they gotta have uh play dates you know house yeah they got to return yeah and, and compete and get points for their house there's so many ways mm-hmm. you could take this i i almost want to combine this pet adoption thing with everything that kyle is doing over on the west coast um you know at hufflepuff teach by the way on twitter and uh 
just see what kind of fun competitions you could get into and the sky's the limit. People using Harry Potter in new and exciting ways and for the good of these animals who are, you know, adopted and, and, and it's just it's it warms my yellow and black heart. <laughs> no, it's definitely it's definitely a really that came out really cool story. My helpful puff heart. Mm-hmm. I just wonder too, Eric. Do you plug uh, Andrew and my Twitter handles when you do other podcasts? Um, I plug at MuggleCast. Does that count? The bio has at not really Sims no, but okay. At... No, no. I just wonder. Okay, though. All, right. all right. Well, think you should think about. I'm gonna it. make more of a point to do that. You know, it's funny because I wanted to actually do another plug here before we get into our main discussion on episode 320. I want to say six, maybe. Of MuggleCast, it was our Ivana Lynch guest-starring episode. In that, we mentioned that she is going to be starting her podcast, which is a podcast about veganism. Um, And I do believe, I have it on good word, that within the next week, that podcast will be live. So you'll be able to listen to Ivana Lynch's very own podcast, which she co-hosts with Robbie Jarvis, who also was in the Harry Potter series. He played uh, young James Potter, I strongly believe, um, in Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, I'm going to double check. Thank you, Andrew. Um, but uh, but yes, yeah, so her podcast, Ivana's podcast, is finally coming out. It's called Chick Peeps. That's C-H-I-C-K-P-E-E, or two E's, P-S, Chick Peeps podcast. Um, and actually, I've, I've listened to the episode zero that they're leading with, and it's just really interesting so if you don't know anything about veganism or if you're strongly opposed to veganism listen anyway ivana makes it great and tolerable and fun and it's actually extremely insightful so awesome that's coming out yeah within we'll the next um week. we'll put a link to it in the show notes this week or whenever it is does end up being live definitely so let's move into our main discussion now this is related to a recent news item like i said Fantastic Beasts social media channels are doing these Wizarding Wednesdays. Get it? Alliteration? Wizarding Wednesdays? <laughs> oh, As, it makes sense now. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and so they're doing this leading up to the release of Fantastic Beasts 2, which is still a year away. Some of them have been kind of random and pointless, but every once in a while there's been something interesting. And this past Wednesdays was actually pretty interesting. Um, they released a photo from the set... That depicts a sign in a scene promoting the book launch party of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. The event is being held at Flourish and Blotts, meaning in Diagon Alley. It's being co-hosted by Obscurus Books. Obscurus Books being the publisher of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Which is still so crazy because even the, the one that was released in 2000 said... It was published by Obscurus Books. Right. And J.K. Rowling held on to this word or knew all along <laughs> that Obscurus's would play big roles in, 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 in the story. So, um, that's my first question for you, though, is it's being published by Obscurus Books. Is that just something that Newt came up with on his own? Because it would be highly coincidental that he would go to a publisher with the name Obscurus in the title. Right. Hi, I have a book, and... I want to create a publishing house. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> I, I very much think it's... I've always seen it as, as Newt's own company. Like, he, you publish under uh, a company for liability reasons and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, boring, boring, boring. But I, I have a feeling that's his company. Like, there are... There's probably a staff 
like a small staff of three or four people. With Magic, you don't really need that much staff to have a publishing house. Um, I imagine you can just you know Magic the machines into working. My impression is that it it is sort of like a you know a small operation. But I gotta say, seeing it real, seeing it realized on film, it makes it more real. It was always an interesting, fun tidbit um, for for readers of the book to notice. I know we had a field day when when we first when it was like pointed out after the movie, um, and we knew what an obscurus was to see that that it was called obscurus books and it has an address in Diagon Alley. But I, I don't know how I feel. I'm so conflicted about actually seeing it that this is the company in universe that he decides to either go with or create that he calls it that because obscurus is sort of a dirty word folks like yeah and yeah it, just thinking about it in my mind i can see jacob in the streets of diagon alley or or looking at at newt's new book and like turning to newt or one of the other two and saying oh, obscurus books funny you know like <laughs> well or like real funny, uh, Newt. How'd you come up with that one? You know, yeah. like, some sort of quip or callback. Yeah. My only guess, and this doesn't really make sense, but like Newt was trying to find a publisher, and he couldn't. Nobody wanted to pick up his book for some reason. Yeah. Which could kind of be a fun callback to J.K. Rowling's early struggles, because obviously we know she submitted her manuscript <sighs> to so many publishers, I love and that. they all turned her down. I love that, Andrew. So. But but then the other question is, why would they turn down Newt's book? This is obviously very well-researched, unless they think he's crazy and these beasts don't exist or something. Well, that's the funny thing, is he's sort of, as he explains in the first movie, he's he's fighting an uphill battle in terms of educating his fellow wizards about magical beasts and this and the other thing. That's in a stark contrast with receiving a worldwide release party at Flourish and Blots, which I'm assuming is the wizarding equivalent of, like, Waterstones. Um, right? Like this is a, a huge celebration party, which is now, I think, confirmed to be part of the plot of Fantastic Beasts. So this is, this is the biggest deal for me. I, I was just on JK Rowling's Twitter when I saw this, cause I'm not a hundred percent certain that I follow at Fantastic Beasts, but I saw it. JK Rowling just retweeted it. She didn't say anything else, but the tweet says, um, an author must have a party or something. What is it? Um, looking at it right now a newly published author must have a book launch party newt scamander has been busy says the tweet and jk rowling just retweets it but i'm like wait a minute this is this plot detail like this is absolutely Mm -hmm. like this is right up there with newt scamander uh only meant to stay in new york for a few hours like what what jk (laughs) Rowling? i don't know if it's on that level i think it is because like (laughs) the reason is the sign says the date Saturday, nineteenth of March, uh, seven o'clock p.m. Like this, we're getting the so, the exact date that Fantastic Beasts two. I'm not going to say we'll open on. I'm not going to be that hopeful. But if the book release party is part of the movie, we know exactly when in time it occurs. And yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that you know it's it's huge to get this this piece of information. I also find it somewhat coincidental, ironic that this is the second Fantastic Beast film, and if you go back to the second Harry Potter film, Chamber of Secrets, there was also a book signing at Flourish and Blots. Ooh. Oh, man. Parallels. Uh-oh, we're going to have to start a parallels page over on Muggle Yeah. <laughs> Ring theory is going crazy now, you guys. Um, 
No, that's a good point. And and that was I didn't think about both of them being in the second film, but I was thinking about Lockhart's Flourish and Blots event in Chamber of Secrets, and it'll probably remind us of that. Um, th- I think one of the most significant things here is that this could explain how Tina, Jacob, and Queenie get over to England, because we've been wondering on the show for a while, well, what reason would they have They've, they've been established as core characters. We call them the core four. How are they going to get over to, to Europe and why? Like maybe Tina would make sense because um, she's now romantically interested in Newt. Mm-hmm. But the other two, it didn't really make sense. So this will be a good way to get them over there. And then then my guess is that something bad will happen to will happen at the party or directly after the party when the core four will all still be together and thus Tina, Queenie, Jacob will stick around to help take care of whatever is going on, probably Grindelwald related. Yeah, maybe yeah. the news of him breaking out of the States comes out when oh, yeah. they're there. It's I don't know, it's so interesting, but like it's only three and a half months since no- the, the end of November when... Uh, Wait, or December. When it's it's within three months of when the first film takes place. Sure. Um and I would even go a step further and say not only bring the the sort of core four together, but it's a release party. If you have family, chances are your family will show up. Oh right? snap. Theseus. Oh, yeah. uh, how about uh Dumbledore as well? Dumbledore. We all know the close relationship that they share with each other. Maybe you'll leave Dumbledore to Hogwarts, but there's always the option. How many wizards can they fit? How many important people can they fit in this bookstore? Jeez. Well, remember when Lockhart was there, how many people were inside? They could barely uh, get up to uh, have their book signed. Yeah. Huh. I am so proud of you, Newt. This is an amazing (laughs) book. (laughs) It is our choice. You got to do that line. It it is our chapters, Newt. Far more. Than the pages you know what I would really love to? Uh, it would be for there to actually be some of these beasts inside of Flourish and Blots while he's doing the sign. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Like the well, Niffler also, just like slaps his paw down. Well, you down can't and... let the Niffler out because he'll go straight to Gringotts. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> well, there's also a store in Diagon Alley that yeah. hosts a lot of beasts, at least the in apothecary. the theme park. I'm, huh? Isn't it the uh, Apothecary? Uh, Magical Menagerie. Magical Menagerie, that's it. Yeah, so maybe like the after party can be at Magical Menagerie. Yeah. <laughs> With well, all the beasts. Well, that actually them. that makes sense cuz again it's about beasts and I'm not sure the other part that's kind of weird about it being obscurus books in reality and not just as like a a, a playful nod on JK Rowling's part is that the obscurus although Newt has recently encountered it, so far as we know, the obscurus is not I mean it's not a beast really. And it's definitely not covered in this book he's publishing. So you're naming your publishing company after something that is not necessarily relevant to your um, focus. Because the Obscurus is not covered as a part of the book, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. But could it be in, in the movie? Do you think they might add it? In the book? I mean, well, it's interesting. Um, again, even though the UK does not have the United States's um, weird kind of repression of magic uh, endemic in the society. And Obscurus is still like, a. I would, I think it's safe to say it's a feared, 
you know, parasitic dark force. Like, nobody's going to want to talk about it. It's like, it's sort of a faux pas naming your publishing company that. It would be, it would be like naming your publishing company, like, Nazi regime books or something. You know, it's just, it's, it seems like it would be taboo, kind of getting back mm. to that. And like, this is why I just think it, it, it works extremely well as a, a nod, as an in-joke for like readers in the real world. Mm. But in the, I, I'm so hung up on the fact that they've taken this over and, and put it on a poster that's going to be in the movie and that it's going to be some sort of reality. The other thing is that Dumbledore is such a private person and we know, we basically know that his sister was an Obscurus. And, but this is, again, being how private he is, you would almost think he would object to kind of throwing this term out in such a large public way. I don't know. I just, I, I have a hard time believing with everything that's happened in the previous film that there wouldn't be some level of research about Obscurus in his new book. It it would, you know, perhaps that even draws credence, right, to mm. Diagon Alley. Uh, you know, it's, I, I think this is the opportunity to bring many, many characters to one location. And um, I think there will be something about the Obscurus in his book. I I just, just because the printed version that we have doesn't have it doesn't mean that this version well they won't. just updated it <laughs> the version we have is an updated true present day version and it doesn't have the obscurus in it but it's too but again you know we talk a lot about how certain things may not be included yeah. because they would give too much of the plot away i yeah. think that could be the case here i think that's very true um I, but another thing another takeaway for this is there will we like we will not only will we see flourish and blots again for a signing which is great but we're going to see Diagon Alley in the 20s, you know, in, in presumably yeah. 1927. And considering that the entire Wizarding World is basically a takeoff of medieval time um, with some modern elements, will it really look that different? Um, you know, what do we think about yeah. will Diagon Alley look? I kind of, I really want it to, but, you know, any of these British, uh, narrow British lanes with shops on them that you could go to today in London do still look mostly the same as they did in the late 1800s. We could see a difference in attire. That may be mm. the most striking difference that we notice. Kind of like the I'd... equivalent of seeing vintage cars on the streets in New York. Yeah. Or I was also just going to say, like, this is probably what we can expect from Hogwarts as well, because they're both very ancient Wizarding World locations. So I think there will be subtle differences, but maybe the most notable differences will be... Um, what the witches and wizards are wearing. I always think back to uh, Dumbledore's hat in Half-Blood Prince, I think it was, in the flashback. Like, isn't... Or, or, no, maybe it was an earlier film. Maybe it was the Richard Harris Dumbledore. He's wearing, like, a smaller pointy cap. Oh, yeah. Do I have that right? Um, and so I, I think of stuff like that in terms of showing the earlier Wizarding World. Well, I, think, I think it's safe to say... I like that idea, and I think it's safe to say that Colleen Atwood, uh, Academy Award winner... Colleen Atwood, costume designer, has a lot of of work to do, um, you know, creating that effect, especially if the surroundings and the, the sets are kind of going to have to look the same um, mm -hmm. to, to use costumes to distinguish. I hope she's up to the, the challenge. I think she will be. I mean, she really crushed it um, in the first Fantastic Beasts film. And you know who else this also benefits? Who? Wizarding World theme park. Oh, hey, Diagon Alley, <laughs> as seen in the latest movie. Oh, crud! They could really do that, couldn't they? They can disguise it as the twenties. 
Oh. What? Oh, wow. I mean, uh, they- I don't think they're going to make any changes to the theme park. I'm just saying that, like, it'll be good promo for the theme park oh. because Diagon Alley is sort of relevant again if it was seen in the most recent movie. So you don't think they'll, like, uh, throw, you know, a bunch of 20s no. ads and, like, book release announcements in the actual theme park? Heck no. Oh. Because the Wizarding World parks exist now in the, like, the post-Voldemort timeline, mm. except for the attractions. But, like, you know, it's kind of like a hap- happily ever after setting at this point. Well, I always so think, I think of it think as, like, a good reason to get Eddie Redmayne to show up in, in Florida, <laughs> you know, in Orlando. Yeah. That would it, be. Would, it would be fun if they did something, but I don't think they will. Because, because they... they Right, they're not even selling the Fantastic Beasts script book in those stores, right? We've talked about no, this before. No, yeah, they're very. There is very much like a disparate. Like it's it's completely separate, actually. The Fantastic separate Beasts timeline, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. There's nothing that the theme parks have surprisingly still nothing to do with Fantastic. It's like a different franchise. They almost like need different movie rights to it or something. Yeah, but still, they uh, it'll be good promo because Diagon Alley. Oh my God, I just saw that in the movie. Let's go to the Diagon Alley theme park. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, definitely if you're watching at the Universal City Walk uh, Theater there, which I just th- I just figured out where we oh, should yeah. be next November. You guys, <laughs> we should totally go down there and then walk over to Diagon Alley like right afterwards. You can't actually see it, but in the window there's a little sign that says "Join us in Orlando." <laughs> <laughs> Next Wizarding but, Wednesday, we'll see that. Yeah. One other thing, though, that I thought was interesting, just given timelines, right, is that we've now passed the point where Voldemort is technically back in the picture. Right. So he was born on December 31st, 1926. This book signing is taking place, as Eric, you mentioned, March 19th, 1927. So he's a little young, but... Uh, <laughs> He Tom Riddle is is now back in play. Yeah, Tom Riddle was born, I think, within a week of when the last film ends. It's definitely within a month. Um, but yeah, he's this is a world with Tom Riddle in it, and there's he's still back. there's still uh, 18 further years between now and 1945 when Dumbledore eventually defeats Grindelwald for good. The next 19 years of film. It's worth pointing out, as you just did, that you know Voldemort is very much going to be alive, and by the end of it all, he'll have opened the Chamber of Secrets and maybe have some followers that call themselves the Death Eaters. So it's a it's a big deal um, that Vold- this is now a Voldemort uh, present world. No wonder it's going to get darker with this sequel. I love the idea that Theseus visits his brother for his party. I mean, he works at the Ministry of Magic just next door in Diagon Alley, right? And he's like. I, I just worry about all the time that they're going to need to do these characters justice and explain. Introduce them. Introduce yeah. them and show their relationship. And I hope I hope everybody has enough to do in this film. I just, I really, really Hi. love it. You know? I'm Theseus. I was supposed to be in movie one, but I was pushed to two. <laughs> remember that, nice to meet you. Remember that note I wrote you, brother? Did you get my note? <laughs> you saw it in the Lego video game, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> of course I did. Of course I yeah. did. But... I, I think this just provides the opportunity for so many characters to to come together, and you know, not just with Flourish and Blots, but knowing that we're going to Hogwarts, there there's those opportunities to really you know, throw a bone to Potter fans and and bring back characters, younger versions of characters that you know, maybe some we won't expect to see. We're going to be surprised. McGonagall's so, definitely alive. Um, 
Professor Bins is most certainly around. <laughs> we could see Peeves. Um, although, actually, listeners have pointed out that Rick Mayall, the actor who we were talking about last week, uh, did pass away, unfortunately. So um, if Peeves were to, for some reason, show up in these films, um, he would not be played by the same actor that they, they originally tested um, on movie one. But, I mean, the, the, you're right, Mike. Like, seeing these characters in unexpected ways is is definitely quickly becoming a reason to go see these films. Although... The four, the core four still stand out, I want to say. Like, I still want to see the film for them. Getting back to Voldemort for a second, now being in this world, Tom Riddle, wouldn't it be crazy if the cold open of this movie was just like a baby being born? Like, you just hear, like, <laughs> I can't. And then, and then nobody knows what it is. I mean, like, people like us will know, but everybody will be like, what the heck was that? Yeah. Well, I well, I imagine like I am the Dark Lord. Do you remember? Do you remember the way that uh, have you have you guys seen the Super Mario Brothers movie? The live no, I don't watch bad live action. Oh, you don't watch bad movies? Okay, fine. Um, But it very much it 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 begins with uh, what is it? Oh, Princess Daisy's mother. Not to spoil anybody, but yeah, dropping dropping her off uh, at a convent, and you know it's an it's an egg, but a baby comes out. Anyway, just imagine like Merope Gaunt, like you know, giving birth and, and passing away. It'd be a very somber way to, to start the film indeed. But ultimately I think they're still, they should be focused on Grindelwald for quite some time still. And I really think now that the film will probably open with Grindelwald's escape. Like if I had to guess, if I had to write an imaginary fanfic screenplay of how it's going to open is it would show Grindelwald escaping from America and Nobody know. I mean, well, our heroes finding out about it during the party at in Diagon Alley. Like, I think it would go straight from America to the Flourish and Blotts party with the announcement being made. I'm thinking a la Kingsley's Patronus at the Weasley mm-hmm. wedding, you know, crashing down and saying the ministry has fallen or Grindelwald has escaped, yeah. you know. Yeah. I think something like that. Voldemort is my past, present, and future. <laughs> Actually, You're a fool, Harry Potter. You will lose everything. It is. About a cadaver. <laughs> it is all happening in London, though. London is. The, I mean, and the, and this is the second. I mean, because uh, Riddle's orphanage is in London, too. Um, so, but this is the second or the third confirmed location for this next movie, as we've talked about. Hogwarts has been confirmed. They were filming in yeah. locations that we know have been used in the past as Hogwarts corridors. Um, we're seeing Flourish and Blots, which is confirmed by this. Uh, most recent thank you hashtag Wizarding Wednesdays, um, and uh, Paris is confirmed, which is presumably where they'll meet up with Newt Scamander, uh, or not F- Flamel, Nicholas Flamel. Nicholas Flamel. Uh. All right, let's move on. Have some coffee, yeah. please. Watch this space for more info concerning Diagon Alley and Newt's release party. Oh, and the circus—that's another location that is basically strongly con- con- can uh, confirmed, right? More or less, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that it'll be a thing. The poster, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to some voicemails now. Woo-hoo. It's always great to listen to these. Thank you to everybody who is calling us. We'll give you the number at the end of this segment. We're already off to a bad start, though, because it looks like I put in a typo. Oh, here we go. Here's our first voicemail. Hey, Muggle Cast. My name is Kara. I'm from California. 
Um, I just wanted to call in and just for one, say that you guys are all sorts of amazing. Um, I've been listening for about 10 years now, I'm 23. And I also was one of the winners of the um, the illustrated edition of Prisoner of Azkaban. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. Honestly, it came at a time that I was just having a completely terrible week. And I came home to that, and it was beyond. And then it cut out. But thank you. That was a sweet voicemail <laughs> while it lasted. That was totally like self-serving. Yes, we have giveaways for our patrons who are on the Slug Club level. Uh, check that out over on patreon.com slash mugglecat. Hey, it's really nice to hear that it arrived, and especially in a time when it was needed. Um, yes, exactly. I thought it was sweet. I just it, and uh, sorry, your voicemail got cut it out. It blows but. me away. It blows my mind that people and, and we get this a, a, quite often, but people who have been listening since the beginning of our show, it almost it it feels crazy um, to think yeah. like she was thirteen, Kara was thirteen when that when it's when she started listening, and now she's twenty three. It's unbelievable. And here's a relative newbie. Hey Andrew. Hey Eric. Hey Micah. My name is James. I'm from Santa Cruz, California. I've been listening to the show a little over a year and a half now. Uh, I just want to tell you guys how much I really enjoy listening to MuggleCast. It's just really a lot of fun. Um, I travel a lot. Uh, I'm in a few touring bands, and so um, I'm always sure to have my podcasts on and downloaded and usually around the time every time you guys put one out and uh it just really helps me to uh, get through that time and enjoy listening to something that i really enjoy uh, i retouched base with the harry potter franchise after taking my son to the wizarding world in los angeles uh, he's a doppelganger for a young daniel radcliffe and so he uh <laughs> we put some glasses on him and a cloak and walked around uh walked around the wizarding world and, and uh, tried to avoid too many tourists taking pictures of him. But <laughs> we um, have been able to really bond over the Harry Potter uh, series and, and the illustrated editions is how I've gotten him into it. Also finding some uh, downloadable versions to read to him on my phone. So we've gotten through uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and kind of are stopping there until he gets a little bit older. But uh, before I ramble too much, I know you guys don't like that. Um, I'll end it shortly. Um Thank you guys so much for continuing to do what you love to do because it's uh, it's really great. It's inspiring. So keep on with it, and thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, James, from Santa Cruz. I love hearing how our listeners especially are introducing their children to the Harry Potter series, and I love to hear that he's using the illustrated editions to do so. We'd love to see a picture of your son dressed up as Harry Potter in the park. And you know what's interesting about that? I've heard that a lot of people go to the theme parks looking for a, a Harry Potter character because, you know, you go to Disneyland, right. you find Mickey Mouse. You find So people go to the Wizarding World thinking, oh, where's Harry Potter? Where's Ron? And um, they don't have those characters. So I can, I can totally see this situation occurring where people get excited to see a, a little Harry Potter in the park and take a picture with him. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty great. Now I'm just so, imagining a Hogwarts, like a breakfast at Hogwarts with a Harry, a Ron, and a Hermione that you could pay for. Meet um, and greet the characters. Meet and greet the characters. Universal shouldn't do the Hermione though. They're they're pretty that, bad. That with Hermi the Hermione. Yeah, they should just give up on including Hermione in anything. 
We're referring well, Eric, to her you, voice on the train. It's really bad. You could definitely go there as uh, Professor Lockhart. You were doing a pretty good job uh, a couple months ago. Thank you. You know what? I should send, um, yes, my resume. I'm going to send that to Universal, and they can, uh, they, can, they can have me down there anytime. All right. We've heard from this guy before. Let's hear from him again. Morning, fellas. Morning. I ain't talked to you all in a minute, so I reckon I'd call in. Uh, this is Ryan again. Not Ron. Ryan. Uh, <laughs> y'all talking all this stuff about Cursed Child and whatnot, and I've had the book since it came out, and I tried reading it the first time a little over a year ago. Couldn't make myself do it. I didn't get maybe a third of the way into it. Finally sat down the other day and read through it, and I got to admit, not nearly as bad as I first imagined, and not nearly as bad as everybody makes it out to be. Once you get through maybe the first third of the book, Scorpius stops getting on my nerves, and he kind of mellows out. Anyway, just uh, saying maybe a little bit more positive about Cursed Child. It's not nearly as bad as everybody thinks. Y'all have a good one. No. Take that, haters. <laughs> us. Take that, Ryan us. Ryan has spoken. Yeah. I think I probably will reread Cursed Child before we see it on on Broadway, which is a it's, – Good. It's, you know, I, I – we should not to give it another chance. Be, let me be real. I want to keep fresh in my mind all the flaws that I have with it. It has so that when I see it, I can be mindful and not be completely taken away by how beautiful everything looks on stage. But you know what? Like there are good moments, and on the whole, it is a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end, <laughs> which I typically like to read stories that have a beginning and a middle and an end. So it, yeah. it's nice that Ryan was able to. I'm not, we're so pretentious. I'm being so pretentious right now. It's great if you read the book and you find things that you like about it and it, you find that it's not that bad. I would love to read it again before seeing it, but unfortunately I had to get a seventh job to be able to afford the tickets that Eric signed us up for. <laughs> Here wow. is I thought you were our... gonna say I thought you were gonna say you returned your book to uh to, to Barnes and Noble <laughs> to, to get stored. That's ill. I got 20 bucks back. <laughs> oh, speaking of returns, I actually I, I brought up on a recent episode, I think last week's episode, that I didn't like the complete collection on Kindle. So I was trying to read it again the other day. It was like 11 o'clock at night, and I was so annoyed that I wrote to Amazon. I did their live chat, and they actually gave me a refund. They weren't supposed to because it was past the refund period, but they were like, we'll make an exception. And so they sent me the money back, and now I'm buying the books individually. So problem solved. And well, did the do the books individually now have that feature where they tell you what percentage of the chapter? Yeah. You, oh, so you've yep. tried it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, great. Loving cool. it. Okay, here's another voicemail. Hi guys, this is Dave. I have a question about Grindelwald and Horcruxes. I know Eric doesn't think Grindelwald made any Horcruxes, and I don't recall where Andrew and Micah stand. But my question is this. If Grindelwald did create at least one Horcrux, doesn't that mean Voldemort effectively liberated him from Nurmengard when he used the killing curse on him? The scene and what we learn of Grindelwald's character in later life reads quite differently if we think he might be tricking Voldemort into killing him without considering the implications. Grindelwald knows how self-absorbed and self-aggrandizing Voldemort is. He would never consider that someone else might also have the same death-defying power as him. And we know he never did because he killed Grindelwald without any trepidation. What if that was all by Grindelwald's design? I'd love to hear what you guys think of this idea. See ya. 
cool idea, but wouldn't that mean that Grindelwald was still alive? Yes, it would. So, wouldn't that be the best twist ever? That he's been alive? And, and then what, though? Well, all was not well. <laughs> Cursed Child 2, right, the that's... return of floaty Grindelwald. <laughs> I, I agree with Eric. You've brought this up before, but I don't think that Grindelwald is after immortality the way that Voldemort is. So I don't see him dabbling in, in the Horcrux business. I think it would be too much repetitive, like the Potter series. And, and I think we've done a good job when, when certain things have come up, even things that we've suggested of saying, well, I think that's, that's a little bit too much like what's already been done. I think enough needs to be told from a story standpoint that does not overlap from a major plot perspective with the Potter series. Uh, I want to say though, Dave, I love this idea. Like I actually, I, I, I love it. I now subscribe to it because you're right about Voldemort being reckless and not considering the circumstances. And I would love if that were Grindelwald's plan. All it, it, to answer your question, it would free Grindelwald from Nurmengard. Um, but he would probably succumb to the sort of fate that Voldemort had for about 11 or 12 years where he'd be like a floating vapor because he doesn't have a body. So even though he would still technically be in the, in the world somehow with his soul, he wouldn't be latched on to any particular form. And the question then becomes, is that how Grindelwald would, would choose to live? And unlike Voldemort, I think he probably wouldn't, but genuinely I think it's a brilliant kind of idea and proposition so nice work on that let's play one more voicemail today hey muggle cast uh my name is sham uh i've been listening for a long time uh like nine years um i think the first episode i listened to was the one um the one year anniversary of deathly hallows the book coming out so that was a good episode um and uh so i've never emailed or sent a voicemail before I just wanted to call in to, um, this is kind of a nitpick, but I just wanted to call in to make a correction to the quiz itch question from episode 341. Uh, uh, you said, which Hogwarts student once lost an eye in an encounter with the Whomping Willow? And you said the answer was Davy Gudgeon. But I just wanted to say that he didn't actually lose an eye. He almost lost an eye. Um, and I just, that was just according to the HP wiki. So... I'm assuming it's uh, that's actually correct because the people who work on that wiki are pretty diligent. But, yeah, I know that's a nitpick, but I just wanted you guys to know that. And also I just wanted to um, agree with what Irvin said on episode 341 about um, his favorite birdie bots, every flavor bean being the grass one. Um, I can attest to that. The grass <laughs> one is really good. It's way better than you might think. Um <laughs> The only problem with Birdie Bot's beans is that some of the uh, flavors look a similar color, and I have definitely eaten my fair share of vomit when I thought they were buttered popcorn um, <laughs> or toasted marshmallows. So, yeah, okay. Um, I've rambled long enough. Uh, bye. Thank that you, is, Sean. That wow. is the worst. The thinking of your flavor, like your favorite flavor of Birdie Bot's beans is a flavor that it turns out not to be. That's yeah. That's the worst. 
And this voicemail made me wonder, like, where do you even get Birdie Bots flavored beans? Like, like obviously the theme park, but where else? I'm seeing Jelly Belly sells them directly on Amazon. Wow. Yeah. Great reviews is, as well. So. A, are we talking about grass or grass? Grass. Oh, Micah. Fresh cut grass, Micah. Yeah. Okay. Like mow the lawn. Well, I mean, it would explain why everybody's like, yeah, that's the freaking best one out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. They're not edibles, Micah. I mean, they're edible, but they're just they're beans, man. This is a children's series. <laughs> super funny, but um, thank you, Sham, for your correction. I concede that my quizich question uh, may have been misleading. I'm not sure if I mean I blame it on your 12 year old self. My 12 year old, yeah, whoever old was. You were. Uh, it was a transcription error. Um, I was reading the passage in the book saying. Uh, nearly lost, you know, glad Davy Gudgeon nearly lost an eye. And I, I either read it wrong or I wrote it down wrong to ask the question, um, which student nearly lost an eye or did lose an eye. But regardless, I don't think anybody turned in and said, you know, nobody did. It was Davy almost did or whatever, but it's my bad. I will okay. concede. Thank you. For, right. Thank you for the note. We forgive you. Yeah. We forgive you. Yeah. Um, if somebody else, if, if you want to call in, our number is one nine two zero three M U G G L E. That's nine two zero three six eight four four five three. If you're abroad, you got to put a one in front of that number and uh, try to keep your me- message around ninety seconds ish, and make sure the voicemail goes through the whole way. <laughs> we also got some text messages. Wow, <laughs> these text messages that we have sourced for this episode are truly great. And quite lengthy. I'm surprised that people's text messages don't cut off more than they do, actually. But All right, so, Micah, you want to read the first one? Yeah, so again, another anonymous uh, texter. Definitely uh, make sure you throw your names in there so we can give you the proper credit. People are used to not including their names in text messages, but we don't have you in our address book, so you got to... Yeah, let's just uh, tell everybody their phone number. We can talk... hey. <laughs> Yeah, so your phone number is... Yeah. Uh, so this person says, I was uh, listening to a recent episode of Dear Hank and John when the topic of the ship of Theseus came up. I remember you all discussing the name Theseus as it relates to mythology, but I think this philosophical angle actually has a lot more to offer in terms of theories for the next Fantastic Beast. I would love to hear your thoughts on Theseus and Identity Crisis. Here's a YouTube link to the most succinct description of the paradox I could find. So I don't know if we can play. I that. I love this. The um, we could play it. Do you want to, Andrew? Yeah, I can do that. This I I we learned about this in philosophy one hundred and one in college. I totally forgot about this. And it's also somewhat funny because the scene with Newt and Theseus's letter was supposed to take place on a ship. Right. Okay. Here it is. Welcome back to ninety second philosophy with Carnades.org. Today we're going to be continuing our series on philosophical paradoxes with part two, the paradox of Theseus's ship. This is a paradox for the idea of identity. Identity is basically what do we have as far as criteria for telling that something is the same over time? How can I tell that something is the same at one time or at a later time? So imagine Theseus has a ship. It's made up of some planks, a mast, and some sails. Along the course of his journey, One of the planks is rotten, and Theseus has to replace it. Is it still the same ship? I think most people would say a single plank being replaced. It's the same ship. But what if we replace another plank? 
or some more planks. At what point does this ship become no longer the same ship? When the last plank has been replaced? If you had the intuition that this is still the same ship, what would happen if someone took all of those planks, the mast, and the sails from that old ship and made another ship? Which one of these ships is now Theseus's ship? Being a good skeptic, I'm not going to solve this problem for you. I'll leave that up to you dogmatists that want to believe in concepts like identity. Um, you guys get it? I get yeah. it, but I don't get the connection. How would this play in? So assume that Theseus um, is injured and, oh. and perhaps like heavily injured. We speculated previously that because he is the wizard that the Ministry of Magic has appointed to hunt down Grindelwald to actually get him that you know Grindelwald will overpower him and harm him in some way so if Theseus suffers an injury where part or most of his body has to be magically repaired or he'll have like um a leg like Mad-Eye Moody's or an eye like Mad-Eye Moody's or something like that this paradox could potentially inform his character further like uh maybe maybe even memory loss maybe even like uh you know, some sort of amnesia after an attack. Maybe not in Fantastic Beasts 2, but further down the line, if Theseus is injured and is in, is basically in such a... I'm getting so depressed while thinking about this, but has to... Like, the question is raised, is it still Theseus? After his injury, yeah. after his memory has been, I don't know, magically repaired, or something like that. Okay. So, so for us to go along with this, we have to assume that J.K. Rowling is actually aware of the ship of the Theseus. I'd be surprised if she wasn't, because this actually, I mentioned, we did this in, in Philosophy 101. It's, it's a perfect um, example of concepts of identity. Um, you know, and, and it's relevant to Harry Potter in other ways, too, like sorting into Hogwarts houses. Like, are we the same person because we were yeah. sorted into a certain house or not, and we grew up with that? I imagine yeah, it, J.K. Rowling is going to be building a Newt and Theseus arc. And I think we've speculated in the past that Theseus could potentially die as he tries to fight Grindelwald as well. But it also might be awkward that we know Theseus was after Grindelwald during the course of the first movie, even though we didn't see him. And now Newt caught Grindelwald before Theseus did, which is kind of awkward. Like, oh, you weren't even trying, and yet you did it. Um, so maybe Newton Theseus will be working together and then, yeah, maybe Theseus will be getting a grave injury that might change who he is and it'll be sad. It's funny when you said arc, I thought you meant like they, they're going to build an arc together and the beasts are going to come on. <laughs> hey, they have their own ship. I mean, they're, they're, they might be traveling a lot between England and America. So just get your own boat and bring them all. I, I wonder... Going back though to the to the first film and the fact that we didn't see Theseus, was there this idea that perhaps you know Theseus would have had the the a similar role to Graves? Because the whole uh, sort of paradox that they present here reminds me a lot of Polyjuice Potion, right? So you're sort of taking away elements of the person and building a completely different one, mm -hmm. and you could say the same thing uh, for an Obscurus, right? You're extracting this magical portion of the person, and if you take that and you put it completely into another entity, is, is it still the same person? So I think there's there's a lot of stuff here that you could potentially dive into. And we know as 
this anonymous person mentioned, uh, J.K. Rowling is is very familiar with uh, mythology, so there's there's the chance that all or part of Theseus in Fantastic Beasts two could very much be tied to that side of it as opposed to this. But I like this one a lot more. Yeah, our our listeners are super smart. Yes, they are smarter than us. Another text message here. This is from Allie. Just wanted to let you guys know that I went to my first Harry Potter trivia tonight and placed six out of 30. It was me and my boyfriend, Jacob, (laughs) and he doesn't know HP at all, so it was basically just me. (laughs) I was very proud. Our team was Ravenpuff because I'm a Hufflepuff, and he's a Ravenclaw. Love the show. That's great. Nice job. Yeah. I could never go to a trivia night with, like, only two people. I need a big team to support me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's happening now? Like, you know, know, Eric and I have been to two trivia nights and i just told him about a third that we're gonna go to later this month and like i'm rereading the books right now and i'm like oh darn like i really can't skim i have to pay attention to every little detail because any of this could come up in these trivia nights because they (laughs) ask the most obscure questions sometimes yeah so you it it, going to these trivia nights forces you to pay attention to every word of these books yeah i will i will never be able to read uh, Goblet of Fire Triwizard Tasks without taking meticulous notes about who gets what dragon and who uses what charm to escape the mer people ever again because the people who devise this trivia know exactly where my blind spots are and they exploit them and that's why we haven't won yet. <laughs> but groups, bigger groups, groups of six people is like the max is is best uh, to, to up your chances. Read the next one, Eric? Yep, this is uh, from Natasha. She writes, I was listening to this week's show this morning on my way to work and started nerding out in my car once Eric said, where were you on December 30th, 1990? Because that's the day I was born. I haven't been able to see Diagon Alley addition to Universal yet, but I'll be going in early December, so I'm even more excited now. I also wanted to mention that I live in Houston, and they recently held a Harry Potter pub crawl here. It was so much fun, and if it comes to your town, I definitely recommend it. Okay, that's all. Bye. So, (laughs) Natasha was born on December 30th, 1990, which is when J.K. Rowling drew that picture of Sprout as indicated in the book and as um, is illustrated furthermore by the story that she tells, which we talk about in Bonus MuggleCast. Um, J.K. Rowling has a very, very heartfelt story about that day, and spoilers, it is the day that she found out her mother had died, um, which dramatically influenced the course of the Harry Potter series. So not to get, you know, too much on a downer note, but December 30th, 1990 is a very special date for JK Rowling. And yeah, I don't know. You people can listen to our discussion of that over on patreon.com slash millennial. And Natasha, it sounds like you need, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Patreon. People can listen to our bonus MuggleCast discussion over at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And Natasha, it sounds like, you need to get a tattoo of J.K. Rowling's Professor Sprout drawing and or the Deathly Hallows. And you might be J.K. Rowling's mother reincarnated if you believe in that sort of thing. Oh, that's a little weird. Isn't that weird? That's yeah. a little weird. That's a little weird. <laughs> right. The next text message comes from Matt, who says, Hey, MuggleCast, uh, Matt here from Winnipeg up in Canada. I'm a 24-year-old music student, and my first MuggleCast episode was 79. I'll always remember that it was called Old School Dumbledore. I actually used to do transcription work for you guys back in the day. Sorry, Micah, I totally lied to you and told you that I wasn't 13, uh, so I could work for you guys. Wow. Uh, I was just that into MuggleCast. 
Uh, just wanted to say good job at getting the podcast up nice and early on Monday mornings, although it isn't quite early enough for my walk to uni in the morning. It is perfect for my walk back to my car after class. Hmm. After mind-numbing music history and theory lessons, it is great to switch gears and listen to MuggleCast. Keep up the good work. If you ever want to open a Canadian MuggleCast studio, I'm your guy. Huh. Thanks, Matt. We're happy to hear that. Micah, your your security uh, <laughs> steps uh, were flouted by this, flaunted, flouted by this guy. Clearly. How do you feel about uh, that? No comment. No, no, we're taking steps to ensure this doesn't happen again, right? That's why we got rid of the transfer. Too many actually. people were <laughs> abusing it and joining the ranks when they were too young. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And our last text message today, this is from Holly. I've been a listener since 2010. You all have been a great and constant part of my HP Phantom experience since then. I was just listening to your latest episode and was affronted by another text message voicemail you'd received, so naturally I had to voice my complaints. I happen to agree with most of you that Chris Trout is awful, but even if I didn't, I wouldn't try to stifle your opinion on the matter. Micah's sarcasm and Eric's rare saltiness towards some aspects of the play have made me laugh quite a bit. Fandom, like any community, thrives on discussing different viewpoints. I, for one, enjoy grumbling about things that don't matter so much, like an opinion over a Harry Potter fan play. It keeps me from losing my mind from constantly fighting people over the current political climate. Obviously, you don't have to read this on the show. Oh, too late. <laughs> um, but like Sir Cadigan, I felt like I had to step forward and defend your honor. Cheers and thanks for everything. I'll try to find some chocolates for Eric that won't melt in uh-huh. the mail. So, yeah, I agree with that. Fandom thrives on discussion. And I think part of loving something so fiercely is that you are protective of it. And thus, you sometimes have a hard time agreeing with decisions that are made. That's normal. It's okay. Also, our positions can change. I think once I reread Cursed Child, it may be true that, like Ryan, um, we decide that it's not so bad after all. I love Cursed Child. I'm I'm saying it right now, and I'm sticking with it. Oh, yeah? Mm Yeah. Yep. I, I would just agree with what, what Holly said and, and Andrew, what you, you said as well, is just that this is all about discussion. We're, we're all here to throw out different viewpoints. And sometimes we bring up viewpoints that maybe we don't necessarily agree with, but we want to throw out there so that it just kind of informs the discussion a little bit more. Uh, and I think part of it is like, not that we're necessarily characters, but we're personalities. And I think that you know, a lot of times we continue along those personalities on the show. And, you know, if it's if it makes sense for Eric to be salty or for me to be sarcastic, I think we're just going to throw something out there to just kind of add to the discussion. So, yeah, I think with that said, though, we respect everybody's opinions. And, you know, if people disagree with us, we're going to read that, too. But we just ask that they be as respectful of us as we will be of them. How's that? Absolutely. Yep. Works for me. Live and let live, as Dumbledore always says when he's up on stage ta- with Paul McCartney. I was going to say, is he, is he in wings now? Yeah. It's time for some quizage. Last week's question was, how many died in the Battle of Hogwarts on the side of Hogwarts and the Order? Lavender we are Brown not including Lavender, right? Is that what I said last week? I Where can't we remember. Well, you, you can decide for yourself. Mike and Eric, guess the actual retail price without going over. Well, do we need to name them, or we probably don't have time to do No, that? no. I just, wait, the retail price without going over. Price is right. So so if, if you go over the correct answer, you're disqualified. You, you have to I'm be I'm going to guess 137. 137, okay. Micah? Don't say 138, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say 
Well, it's it's, it's got to be people we know, though, right? Exactly. I'm going to say 13. 13? Yeah. Uh, the correct answer is 54. Huh. Sorry. So I win. <laughs> you do win. <laughs> you were way off. It's like me. Basically, 13 is the equivalent of of a dollar um, for this. Remember, there was a phrase, the fallen 50. Remember that? Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but, but but who can they? Are, do they literally list out all the names? or no? Micah, we don't have time for this, but don't you trust me? Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were a I lot of you should because you guys are winning trivia every week. There were a lot of unidentified people, but there were characters like Fred, Tonks, Lupin, Creevy, these others. And then, of course, you know, there were some more. But, yeah, 54. Yeah, Roshni uh, got and, it you know, while listening. Isn't it the Fallen 50? Yeah, it is. So, so um, how about this week's question, Eric? Okay. This one's sort of easy for those of you who enjoy and often reread Order of the Phoenix, although there is a lot in there. What blemish does Hermione inflict upon Marietta Edgecombe for her misdeed? Ooh, okay. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Coming up in November, a couple of book releases. Fantastic Beasts Illustrated Edition is coming out very soon. I believe the three of us still need to order it. comes out uh, I did Tuesday, already. November 7th. You already ordered it? Oh, I got to get yep. on it. Micah, can you order I... it for me? <laughs> You, this happened last. You did the time la- yeah, the, you uh, you were totally responsible for me being able to talk on that main discussion a couple weeks ago. So thank you very yeah, much. So how about you just do it yourself? <laughs> okay. Um, and later this month, this isn't on as many people's radars, but it is coming out for the holidays. It's called the Art of Harry Potter. It is exclusively concept art from the Harry Potter movies, um, along with some Mina Lima stuff. I actually have this already. They sent me a a review copy. It is gorgeous. It is a coffee table book for adults. That's what I like about it. It's not like the these other spin-off books that have come out because it focuses exclusively on the cover or sorry, on the concept art. Uh it's pretty expensive though. It you can get it from Barnes and Noble for $70. I think the retail MSRP is is closer to 100. Uh, but anyway, it's coming out November 21st. Just in time for the holidays. We'll talk about that. Um, I don't think MagoCast has money in the budget to buy you no, two copies. No, no, no. So, absolutely not. Eric, you can just come over and look at my... You actually should have showed it to you. It was sitting right on the coffee table yeah, when you, you were over showed, the well, other next day. Time. Next time I come over to... He was too busy scratching Brooklyn. Yeah. Too busy scratching Brooklyn. Too Brooklyn busy. distracted yeah. you. But, um, I, you know, this reminds me of the book that Mike and I almost got made, um, to be honest. And it just shows how time changes and how if we were to... If we were to uh, push that same book, Micah, to publishers now, we would have not this, but also the illustrated Jim K books to, as um, examples of why our idea would have been so freaking popular. What yeah. book did well, what, you two almost get made? So there was a book, I guess talking about it might mean somebody wants it now. Publishers, please pitch us. Um, but it was going to be actually so with Keith, formerly of MuggleNet, we... Um, had a book that was designed and orchestrated that was going to be Harry Potter's story told through the artwork of his fans. It was a book called Illustrious, no. like as like as if it were a spell, Illustrious, and it was fan art. It was fan art organized and shown chronologically for all seven Harry Potter books, and it was in concept 
a um a a, a coffee book table um a coffee table, coffee book. table book yeah. yeah and um oh that's interesting i would have i would have uh bought that at the time we got a literary agent um hmm. and shipped it around and publishers said that there there was nothing there was no precedent this was in the dark days when nothing was happening with like yeah, jk that, rowling that hadn't does... even returned to twitter yet i don't think mm-hmm. it, it doesn't sound like too. it could have been a legal nightmare yeah, go on micah What's interesting too is it well yeah that was definitely uh well we got releases we from up. every one of the fan artists Keith was diligent it was really really smartly done but all we needed I was, was actually I still actually have I was actually referring still, to how team JK Rowling would look at that yeah yeah but I mean what's interesting like two things one is that if if you go to Pottermore now there it looks like they're actually going down the road of doing something very very similar featuring fan art uh, and the second is that I still have all this stuff. So if we want to, you know, get the wheels going again, and no, no, it was actually a lot of. I'll be honest with you, it was a lot of work. Yeah, but those those meetings that we had to organize and orchestrate chronologically was really really smart. And a lot of the artwork was from ten or eleven year olds at the time. I mean, they'd be like seventeen now, but um, you know, it was really really a special concept. And every time I see a new art book that's coming out, that's just art that has existed for Harry Potter, I can't help but feel a stabbing pain in my side going, it should have been us. Should have been us. Yeah. Well, until you guys get that book published, we have this cool art of Harry Potter book. Well, cool, yeah. I definitely <laughs> want to check it out. I'll, I'll come over and yeah. borrow it, and I'll lend you, I don't know. Borrow it? Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll lend you one of my books. Just, just read it. Just read it over in my book. Uh, lend you one of your... Hmm. Okay, you can... I'll take your hollow Goblet of Fire Hollow Goblet of... There's stuff in there now. Wait, that, I actually have been looking for my passport, so maybe I put it in that Goblet of Fire book. <laughs> Ugh, anyway. All right. Let's wrap it up here. So we'll talk about the Fantastic Beasts Illustrated Edition, not Fan Art Edition, on next week's episode. And we'll do some other stuff. We want to get back into some book discussions. I think Micah floated doing some Goblet of Fire book discussions. Did I? <laughs> Somebody said that over text. We'll figure no? it out. I want to do uh, the Strike series. We'll have to get ready for that. Yeah couple plugs here we'd love your support over at patreon.com slash mugglecast if you have any feedback about it what we can do to convince you to sign up let us know we're going to be sending out um stickers to the people who are still still owed them very soon we also have some signed album art that we'll be sending out to people Uh, i know we owe some people those as well as we finish that benefit we signed the remaining ones in orlando and we're going to be getting those out to people soon but we would love your support. It keeps the show going weekly. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get lots of benefits, including a new bonus MuggleCast in which we talk about these comments from J.K. Rowling about the Deathly Hallows symbol and, and how it relates to her mother's death. Right. So um, also check out our website, MuggleCast.com. All the ways you can contact us are available there. And once again, our voicemail slash text number is one nine two zero three muggle that's nine two zero three six eight four four five three you can also tweet mugglecast on twitter and please like us on facebook facebook.com slash mugglecast we appreciate your support as always we we thanks everybody for listening i'm andrew i'm eric and i'm micah see you next time goodbye goodbye